Welcome to Real Life. Hi, I'm Jim Miller, and you're listening to the Real Life LA podcast, coming to you from the Southern California foothills town of Glendora, California. We're a church for everyone, and we exist to lead lost people to Jesus, building a community of grace with a God-sized vision that reaches from generation to generation. As you hear today's message, we pray that God speaks specifically to you, opens your heart, and shows you how to live each day with more joy, beauty, and wonder. Good morning. I'm Pastor Anthony. It is great to be with you today here at Real Life. And today uh, we're going to be talking a lot about uh, moving from one place to another. You'll know what that means here in a little bit. But first, I thought we would actually start off by talking about the the journey our church has been on over the last five years, because we keep moving from one point to another, and then to another, and to another. And so I actually want us to engage in a little survey on our church app. Uh, Raul should have walked you through how to download that, but if you know you were in another room and now you're just walking in because the sermon has started, there are going to be instructions in the comment section, and if you're watching on a phone, you can just catch up later. Uh, but the question is this, where did you spend your first Sunday morning at Real Life Church? And we've been a couple places, right? And so you can say that you were there at that very first meeting at Old Hammer Park that had no restrooms, and it was very memorable for everyone. Uh, and that was the place where the people gathered there said, let's start a church. But they didn't have a place to meet the next week, and so then they met two weeks later at the LaFetra Center. And so maybe you've been part of the church since the beginning, five years ago. Or maybe you jumped in like my family did when the church was gathering at Sandburg Middle School, and that was your first Sunday uh, in that place where we had to set up and tear down church every week and you know, sometimes smelled like middle school, but that was okay, and we were able to bless that campus and that community through our time there. Or maybe you've only heard stories about those things because you joined us when we were here, where I'm preaching this morning, at Valley Center, uh, the Valley Center campus. And maybe it was in parking lot church, or maybe it was indoors, but maybe that was the first time you spent a Sunday with us. The fourth option, and I think I've now stalled long enough that we can see some of these results coming in, uh, that, that fourth option, maybe online, has been your first time. Maybe today's your first time with us, and you're going, the church has been how many places? There's one more coming. We've all jumped in at different points, but we're all about to step into this next thing together. Uh, God has helped us kind of be gifted a property across town. We're about to launch a second campus uh, here in the coming months, and And with that next thing coming, I thought it'd be good this morning for us to spend some time together and really talk about a principle that I would hope would serve as a guidepost for us moving forward. It would be something that that we could hold out in front of us, we could remind each other of, and it's pretty simple, it's pretty basic. It's, It's just this statement that Jesus people do Jesus things. That those of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus would actually follow the things he says to do. But even with that roadmap, and it seems really simple, God's people have a history and a track record of trying to do things on their own. And we're going to look back at one of those stories today. I have a pastor friend named Darren McWaters who helped unpack this for me uh, a few months ago. And, and it's really stuck with me. I want to share with you today uh, a story of God's people from Numbers chapter 13 to see what we can learn from those who've gone before us. But before we do, I want to pray over us that we might not miss what others before us 
have. Would you join me in prayer? Uh, God, we ask that you would uh, speak to us today through the reading of your word. God, that you would change our lives through what we learn about you and that our lives would be changed in such a way that others might come to know you. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. So before we go a few thousand years back in history, I thought we'd, we'd start, we'd, we'd go easy. We'd start at 20 years back, back when uh, maps were made out of paper. Uh, I was living in the small town that I grew up in. When I say small town, like few thousand people. Our main street was Highway 395 coming through town. There were two stoplights. If I got stuck in traffic, it was probably because I got stuck behind a tractor. Uh, and I would have stayed in that small town as so many other of my friends did, uh, as my parents had. But I met a girl. And uh, that girl uh, was back from college break, and I decided that I was going to go to college near her uh, so that you know, we could hang out and maybe possibly date. And uh, I know that might sound weird or a little strange. Oh, let me just skip ahead to how that one ended. We've been married now for 15 years. We have three kids. Uh, so as I tell today's story, what I'm about to tell you, and you go, oh, that probably did not go well. Miraculously, uh, things worked out through no fault of my own. Uh, so I looked on this map uh, when I'm thinking about going to school near her, and she lived in a city called Irvine, and I saw on the map another city called Azusa, and I'd heard about that one before from some friends at church. There might be a college there. And so I decided that's, that's what I was going to do. I was going to go off to college in Azusa to be near her in Irvine. And I knew very little about college and going off to college. I was the first person in my family to, to ever do that. But I knew even less about like what this far on a map of LA actually meant. Because to me, I thought I was going to be super close. And freeways you go fast on. Uh, and that was not necessarily the case. Some of you are laughing. You understand that that, uh, that was a silly idea that I had. But uh, that's what I thought was going to happen. And there's another thing you need to know about me. Not just that I didn't know much about L.A. and didn't quite know how the college thing was going to work. Uh, but I also have these moments in life where I wonder, if my life was a movie, like, what would happen next? That rarely goes well, uh, but I've yet to be able to figure out how to turn off that idea in my brain. And I was driving down. I had all my stuff packed into a U-Haul. I would borrowed my parents' minivan. I'm driving down to, to the big city, right down to LA. It was a 12 to 14 hour drive, depending on who's driving. And I'm, I'm just a couple hours away from the city. And this idea dawns on me that, you know, if, if my life were a movie, what would happen next? I know, I'd get lost. I'd get lost on my way to this new college, and uh, I would have to get guided into where, where Christine lived, and we'd have a romantic dinner together. She'd fall in love with me. If this were a movie, that's what would happen. But here's the thing. Like, next to me in the passenger seat, I had a map. It was back when maps were on paper, remember? Uh, and it was a map that I'd gotten from the AAA office, and they'd even use their yellow highlighter to, like, show me exactly where to go. I didn't want our relationship to like start out on a lie. I was like, I can't say I was lost. I have a map. I can't get lost with a map. So brilliant idea. I roll down the window. I hold that map loosely in my hand and whoosh, it just goes. Like, oh, now I don't have a map. I'm going to be lost. I will use my giant brick of a cell phone and call her. She's not going to know how to tell me how to get to the school, but she'll help me find her apartment. This is going to go great. All of the ideas in my head maybe even saying out loud because I'm driving by myself. And I, I grab that phone and I dial her number and it rings and it rings. And you might be able to remember back to a time when we didn't carry our cell phones with us all of the time. It, it's true. 
We used to leave them places. Uh, and she had left hers in her apartment, and she was at the beach for the evening. She didn't know these grand plans that I had of calling her for her to rescue me, and now I had no map, and my cell phone is dying, and the night is getting darker, and the city is getting bigger, and traffic is getting worse, and I realized two things. Uh, number one, this was not a movie. <laughs> this was real life. And number two, I should have held on to my map, right? Uh, here's the thing about maps. They only work if you use them. And as we get ready to go back today to God's people a few thousand years ago, I want you to fight the urge to think that you know better than them, um, that, that you would have made a different choice. And, and you're right, you might not be the kind of person who lets a map just fly out the window. Good job, you. But uh, I think we might have a lot in common with the people we're going to look at in today's story who knew what path God had in front of them, but decided to make their own decisions and their own way. Now, uh, even if you're not familiar with the Bible, uh, hopefully, maybe at some point you've heard of an event that the Bible calls the Exodus. It's when God's people, Israel, left Egypt where they were in slavery. Uh, you know, the let my people go kind of a moment. Uh, they go out into the desert. Uh, they get to a giant body of water. An army is chasing them. A guy named Moses puts his like hands in the air. The water parts. They go across. It's that story, and it's actually after that story that we're picking up today in the book of Numbers, chapter 13. Uh, God's people have fled from slavery in Egypt, uh, and, and this story picks up at that edge of they've left everything behind, and they're about to go into the land that God has promised them. And, and standing there are grandparents and grandkids and husbands and wives and people who've been waiting for this moment their entire life and young people who don't know why everyone is so excited. They're on the line between slavery and freedom. And this is what happens next in Numbers 13. Starting in verse 1, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the Israelites. Now, throughout this story, I'm going to ask you two questions. I'm going to ask... So, uh, what job did they have, and what were they exploring? I'm going to give you the answers. What job did they have? Let's look at it again. Send some men to explore the land. Oh, that's, the job they had was to explore the land. And what were they exploring? It was the land God had already given to them. Okay? So, uh, continuing, because this is going to be important, from each uh, tribe send one of its leaders— so, at the Lord's command, Moses sent them out from the desert of Paran. All of them were leaders of the Israelites. And then it lists their names. They're important, but you don't want to hear me trying to pronounce them. We're going to jump down to verse 17. When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on into the hill country. See what the land is like and whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. Right, give, give me a full scouting report. Tell me about the land and the cities and the soil. And, and I love this. <laughs> Moses goes, do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. They've been wandering through the desert. Like, and I love that it says here, it was the season for the first ripe grapes, right? And, and Moses wanted some of those grapes. So what job did they have? Explore the land. And what were they exploring? It was the land that God had already given them. So in verse 21, they went up and explored the land from the desert into cities, and they're exploring. And I love this uh, in verse 23. When they reach, there's a valley they reach. When they reach the valley, they cut off a branch bearing a single cluster of grapes. 
Two of them carried it on a pole between them, along with some pomegranates and figs. So they cut down this branch with grapes. They string it up onto a pole. They're then carrying it between two men. It's a lot of grapes. They really want Moses to be happy with them. And they, they then name the valley. And then verse 25, at the end of 40 days, they returned from exploring the land. Job well done. Because what was their job? What job did they have? Explore the land. What were they exploring? The land God has given them. It has good fruit, right? They're very excited. So, verse 26. They came back to Moses and Aaron and the whole Israelite community at Kadesh in the desert of Paran. There they reported to them and to the whole assembly and showed them the fruit of the land. They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit, right? And imagine the guys with the pole and they throw it down. But the people who live there are powerful and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, the Amorites live in the hill country. The Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. And then Caleb, he's one of the guys who was sent, he silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. Verse 31, but the men who'd gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land that they had explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people there were of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of An Anak come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. So what job did they have? Explore the land. And what were they exploring? It was the land God had already given them. So where did they go wrong? Our maps are great until we throw them out the window. And the setup for this story, it's incredibly simple. God's people have been set free. God's people have been led to a land that will provide for them in ways they could have never imagined. And God wants his people to trust his promises. The story falls apart when God's people decide that they get to judge whether or not God's plan will work. The land will devour us. The enemy is more powerful. We look like grasshoppers. So, so it's up to us, it's up to you, and it's up to me to decide to learn from stories like this and live into the way that things were created to work best. If God is good, and if God knows how the story ends, then we should trust the map that he's given us. And if you're with us today and you're watching us online and you're gathered together electronically and you call yourself a Christian, you've been given a map to follow. It's a map that will lead you from slavery to freedom. Jesus' brother James says it best when he wrote this letter, wrote this in a letter to the first century church. James writes, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Now, the word Christian, uh, it's not what followers of Jesus were called at first. It's a term that came up later. It was a nickname, and it was actually made to make fun of them. Uh, they, they were called little Christs. All these little Christs going around, these little Jesuses going around, these little Christians. Uh, it, was, it was a bunch of people acting like a guy who, who lived so radically and counterculturally that he was killed for it. And all these little Jesuses, they got it. They didn't just listen to Jesus' teachings. They followed them like a roadmap, and they lived them out. The roadmap we have, as long as we don't throw it out the window or decide that what God has promised us isn't ours to live into, it's to be like Jesus, to believe that Jesus' people do Jesus' things. 
I want to share with you today three ways that I think we could step into living out the ways of Jesus that could transform our communities, our families, and the world around us in significant ways. And the first one is this, to be people known for extravagant forgiveness. One of the most explicit teachings of Jesus was his expectation that his followers would be the best at forgiving people. One of the times when Jesus was teaching and he was asked, now how many times, as one of his followers who knew him really well asked, now how many times do we have to forgive people? And you might have wondered that as well, and Jesus has an answer. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus answers, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Or, the way this is written, it could be 70 times seven, which is like 490 times. And the world around us is not going to give you that roadmap. They're not going to say, this is the way to experience life as it is best. They're going to tell you that forgiveness is risky. They're going to tell you that if you forgive someone, they might not learn the lesson they're supposed to learn. Uh, They're going to tell you that uh, someone needs to earn your forgiveness for you to give it to them. But forgiving people is what Jesus calls us to. And you might be afraid that forgiveness might swallow you up. And that that someone you forgive might use that power over you. And that when you forgive someone, you're going to feel like a grasshopper. But what if forgiveness is that thing that can lead you from slavery into freedom? It can release you from the baggage you've been carrying and that grudge you've been holding against someone. Jesus has given us a map to experiencing what his kingdom is like. And you can't avoid that his expectation is his followers would be the best at forgiving others. The next thing you might want to consider Uh, Maybe it's because forgiveness is something you figured out how to just integrate naturally into your life, and maybe it's because that one seems too hard and you want to know what I'm going to say next. So uh, the next one is this, to be a persistent peacemaker. I love this teaching we find from a letter written to the early church in Rome uh, as it relates to persistent peacemaking. In Romans 12, uh, this is how it's written. Uh, This is, the early church believed this. Uh, I think we should too. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. You see how there, this is not passive. Uh, This takes uh, activity. We are called to do whatever's within our control to live at peace with others. And this teaching, it echoes one of Jesus's from his Sermon on the Mount uh, in the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And some translations don't use children of God here. It says sons of God, uh, because the sons are the ones who receive the inheritance. They receive the promised land that was given to their family. Not only that, but sons are the ones who take on the father's vocation. And it's up to Jesus' followers, it's up to little Jesus's to do all that we can to make peace with others, because Jesus' people do Jesus' things. We take up his vocation. We search our spheres of influence to see where peace needs to be made, and we make peace happen. But ultimately, Jesus' most repeated teaching is where we best see this roadmap to the, the type of kingdom that he is calling us into. It's the only teaching that appears in all four Gospels. Two of the Gospel writers make sure that they include it twice. If you want to follow Jesus' map, a simple Lose your life. Following Jesus means you have to check your ambition at the door. 
as Jesus was willing to give up everything for others, we must be willing to sacrifice whatever we hold dear to care for those God has put into our lives. Jesus' people do Jesus' things. And Jesus' best friend, John, he wrote down this teaching of Jesus in a way that he, do, he doesn't pull any punches here. In John 12, Jesus says, anyone who loves their life will lose it, while anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. There are some who've lived this out, and in doing so, they've given us a glimpse of what it looks like to hold on to the fruit that comes from the kingdom that we've been called to, this land that's been promised to us. Think of it this way. Think of someone uh, who uh, has been selfish versus someone who has lived life selflessly. And, And imagine the difference between those two funerals. Imagine the end of a life of a selfish person and the end of a life of a selfless person. When people gather together to celebrate those lives, like think of the contrast. That, that person who's lived life selflessly, the person who made room at the table even if it meant that they might get less, that person who saw everything they had as a gift to be given to others, that person's life, that's a life that we celebrate because it, it's, it's that fruit that comes back on the pole to go, this is good. This is the world that we are called to be in, to create. That's the kind of fruit that the world around us should see when they look at our lives. We have the same advantage that God's people had in Numbers 13. We've been given a roadmap. And, and, and it's, a, it's a roadmap into a life that God has called us to that is greater than anything you could have ever imagined. Just as God had promised his people a land that would exceed their needs, God has promised us an everlasting life that words can hardly describe. The book of Revelation, sometimes it's used to scare people, but I actually think it's a book of hope to the church that following Jesus' roadmap, it might feel like you're getting swallowed up. Uh, Being a little Jesus might make others use their power over you. As one of God's people, you will be seen and treated like a grasshopper sometimes. But here's the good news. Following Jesus leads to the promised land. Here's how that land is described in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, the city of peace coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They'll be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. He'll wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, no more mourning, or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. One of my favorite things about God's kingdom is that it's not just a future thing. It's something that exists even today. It's a kingdom that is just as promised for now as it is for later. So today, as we stand on this line between slavery and freedom between our old way of doing things and what God is calling us into from deciding we know best to trusting the creator of all things to follow his roadmap. We have a simple thing to remember that Jesus people do Jesus things. Following Jesus, it's a lifelong journey. 
And so we don't get there all at once. But today, I'd, I'd encourage you to consider taking one of three steps into that life he's calling us to. The first one might be that God is calling you into being, to give, to give extravagant forgiveness to others. As, as I was talking today, as we were reading scripture together, maybe somebody came to mind. And it's forgiveness that you have not given to someone, uh, and that's what you need to step into. And in that, God wants to release you from whatever bondage you've been carrying to give you a freedom you could only imagine right now. And maybe that's the first step you need to take. Or maybe it is into being a persistent peacemaker. There's a situation you're thinking of, and there are people that, that your relationship with, with is strained, and you need to take up God's vocation of, of bringing peace and bring peace into that relationship. As, so, as much as it depends on you, that you do everything it takes to make peace. Or maybe it's to put the needs of others first, to consider all that you've gained loss and to say, how can I use what I have to serve others? Whatever your next step is, remember who wrote the map that we're following. God created all things. He knows how things work best. It's not up to us to determine if his way will work or not. It will. We just need to trust him. Amen? Hey, let me pray for us. God, may these words we heard today from your word change us. And God, may we go out into the world around us with extravagant forgiveness, knowing that you first forgave us as persistent peacemakers because you first made peace with us and willing to lose our lives for others because you gave yours up on a cross for us. And God, may others know your great love because of the things we do in your name this week. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us today. Now, will you help us welcome others to real life? Share our podcast or find us on Instagram or Facebook at Real Life LA. If you'd like to become a supporter, please visit reallife.la and tap give to help us welcome everyone to real life. God bless and have a wonderful day.